This is Ashley Hodge with the Sikkim 365 podcast, joined by Kendall Kout. We're going to talk about the season a little bit. We're a week away, actually six days away. It's an exciting time, Kendall. I know you've probably been, uh, you know, mixed feelings because you don't want this football season to end. But um, I think uh, we're it's basketball time, and it's it's time to kind of turn our focus to the uh, Scott Drew led Baylor Bears, and and I think uh, this is going to be a pretty fun season. What say you? Uh, I think it has the potential to be a really good season for Baylor. I'm certainly more optimistic than I was when we kind of first started talking about this team earlier in the year. I know it will also be tragic to not look at football or have to think about Baylor, West Virginia football as much for you and me, Ashley. But I know Travis will really get to dig into Baylor football and S11 and some of the other folks can really dig into that. But we're going to focus on the um, team that is a lot better at their respective sport. That's right. Well, we, we won't make many football comments other than to say it's uh, been a tough season and um, hope springs eternal for next year. But uh, we'll, we'll we'll deal with that on a future podcast or let, let the other guys that talk football deal with it. Uh, so, so, you know, Baylor has played a couple of high-level scrimmages, and I think they got exactly what they wanted from those scrimmages. You know, they played A&M at A&M, and then they played Gonzaga without Ray J. Dennis. And I think they saw a big improvement uh, from scrimmage one to scrimmage two. And it was, uh, you know, certainly what I heard um, was there was a major focus to try to be aggressive. And and they got they shot a lot of free throws in the uh, second scrimmage against Gonzaga. They out rebounded both of those teams. And and that's that's a pretty interesting stat because uh, A&M returned a lot in the front court. And Gonzaga has a really formidable front court with uh, Antoine, Antoine Watson and Greg and and the transfer from Wyoming, whose name is escaping me right now, but uh, or may, maybe Montana. I can't remember where he's from, but he but he was a you know double double machine, really good rebounder. So uh, you know, I think I think I, I, I feel safe to say that rebounding is going to be a major strength of this team. Would you agree with that? I think they'll be a better offensive rebounding team. Uh, don't want to be too negative about Flo Thamba, but he didn't have the season I think he probably wanted last year, and I think whether it's Josh or Missy or Josh O, whoever's playing the five a lot, I think will be a more dominant offensive rebounder for sure and often a better defensive rebounder than what Flo gave him last year. Right. You know, Caleb is a good rebounder. We know that. Uh, Jalen Bridges is a really good rebounder. I think the guards uh, rebound pretty well. Ray J. Dennis, uh, you know, is a good rebounder. Jaden Nunn sticks his nose in there. And, and Langston Love's a good rebounder. Jacoby Walter's a really good rebounder. So all across the, the uh, you know, what we're looking at as far as, you know, major playing time, I think you got good rebounders and, and it should translate, you know, they've, they've certainly established trust in the offensive rebounding department. They've been top 10 way more often in the last 15 years and they've not been top 10. I think there's only a couple of years they haven't been, uh, but they're, you know, defensive rebounding is going to be the question. Now they played more zone in the past and that kind of lends itself to, not being a great defensive rebounding team, but they've never been an outstanding defensive rebounding team. And hopefully this is the year that they can uh, make some major strides in that area. Yeah, actually, you would always talk when Baylor was a zone team about you either need to be a dominant defensive rebounding team or you need to force turnovers. Baylor's championship team was elite, elite at forcing turnovers. I don't know if this squad will force quite as many turnovers as the 21 team because that's never a fair comparison. But I do think this team will defensive rebound a lot better than it did last year. And I just... I, I don't expect the defense to be nearly as bad as last year. I mean, hard to do, but I think this defense will be a heck of a lot better than it was last season. So I think in one of your articles, you said your expectation is top 30. Is that is that a fair assessment? 
yes, I think that's a fair baseline for Baylor's defense, which would still be 70 spots higher. But top 30, I think, puts you in contention with where the history of Scott Drew offenses and how well John Jacobs has done. And Al Brooks has obviously been a part of both recruiting and developing a lot of guys. Uh, the whole staff's been around for a while now. So I, I think even if the concerns we'll talk about offensively, I'd be shocked if Baylor's on a top 15 offense. And if you're top 30 defense, top 15 offense, you got a chance to make a run. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to say a little higher than that. I got a lot of faith in, in Jared Nunes and Alvin Brooks as far as uh, being able to fix the defensive issues we had last year. I think I think it was mainly personnel and uh, want to. And, and this team seems to have a lot of want to and the right personnel to – to run the defense that they want to run, you know, wingspan. We talked about that a lot. is is certainly a plus uh, for this team. It's one of the longest teams in in Division One, and I think shot blocking is going to be great. Led by Eve Missy is a terrific shot blocker. Uh, Josh is good at that area. John's good at that area. Jalen Bridges is blocking a lot of shots. So I, I do think I think we're going to be top twenty defensively, and uh, you know, it's just like offensive rebounding. One thing you can count on is uh, efficient offenses from Baylor uh, in the Scott Drew era. And I think with Ray J. Dennis uh, leading at the point guard position, as long as he stays healthy, I fully expect him to be top 15, top 20 in offensive efficiency as well. So you put those two things together. I think you have the uh, potential for, you know, final four national championship caliber team. I will, I will caution. I do think, um, you know, coming off the football season, where expectations were much higher than performance, to say the least. I don't think anyone dreamed that we'd be one in five at home in football at this point, uh, stage of the season. But I think, you know, for basketball, there's some really tough non-conference games. Uh, no, I know Ken Palm, you know, and, and the different analytic metrics, you know, pick them all as kind of toss-up games. The Auburn game, the opener, uh, certainly the Duke game, certainly the Michigan State game. Seton Hall is not going to be an easy game, although you got them at home. You got to win that one. Uh, then you go to the tournament in uh, New York. You know, Oregon State. You're expected to win, but then you maybe have Florida in, in the finals. And if you win it, uh, so there, there's some games that are, that are going to be difficult. Do you think? Um, you know, I, I think I think people maybe think you know, well, it's a national championship caliber team. You're only going to take one loss in conference, maybe zero. That's probably not a very good expect, uh, expectation, is it? I mean, we'll probably lose two, maybe three in non-conference? Is that kind of how you're looking at things? I think over-under would be two. Uh, Duke, Michigan State, Auburn are three really tough teams. I think if you go two and one there, you feel pretty good about yourself. Yep. Um, and then you could just randomly drop a game you shouldn't. I am very happy to see Baylor schedule both Oregon State and Cornell uh, because in years past, Baylor didn't schedule a lot of teams that were in that 10-palm 100 to 200 range where – you can lose those games. North Carolina's had really good seasons where they've lost to Wofford because those teams in that range can pop you on the right night. But they at least give you more of a challenge than, you know, Baylor's going to get from UMKC, Northwestern State, Nichols State. You know, I, I really wish that Mississippi Valley State game was not happening. But I, I'm glad to see Baylor move toward more of those games. And I hope at the Foster Pavilion with, you know, what they're asking ticket price-wise that they maybe get a few fewer of those games because I, I'm sorry, Ashley, I just – I. I can't get hyped to watch Baylor beat Northwestern State by 40 points. <laughs> well, you know, that'd be nice if we did. I, I, I've, I've got some memories of some, you know, battles with North Northwestern State coming to mind. You know, Kenny Cherry <laughs> yeah, <that> overtime game. <laughs> Kenny Cherry bailing us out and back in the day, you know. Um, but yeah, I think um, to your point, I, I agree. I, I would love to see, you know, more of these, you know, Cornells. 
obviously you're not going to schedule Wichita State because of the, you know, familial aspect with Paul Mills, but but maybe like a you know, like a you know a Tulsa or I mean SMU would be great, but I don't think I don't think Scott Drew is going to throw that bone out there. Uh, but but to, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I I would love to see more uh, games, you know, with with you know maybe an Ivy League team because because you, you play them in the tournament and it's a it's a shock to the system sometimes if you haven't had you know preparation for that. So I do like Cornell um, as an opponent, and uh, those Ivy League teams are always sneaky dangerous. You know, they can they can definitely uh, pull the upset. You know, if if they're shooting well. So uh, you know, I think I think we'll you know have a great schedule this year, but. Uh, but there, there are a few, you know, four or five that that you're expected to just roll the ball out and win, um, you know, including Mississippi Valley State. I, I don't think that um, Drew was going to do a, a hard game to close the feral. I, I think after the Iowa State game last year, he wanted to make sure that uh, that that game to close the feral down was going to be, you know, a likely win. Yeah, you know, if they don't win the Mississippi Valley State game, uh, I. I I won't pod in 2024. I, I will make a guarantee. So if Baylor wants to throw the game, they're tied to hear, hearing from me. I'll say that, but I, I guarantee a win. I mean, Ken Palm already has guaranteed a win for the John Brown game. <laughs> yes. Anything could happen, but uh, that would be a really bad result if that, if that happened. Well, I, you know, so Auburn is going to be a fun game, and we're going to dig into previews on that in the days to come. Um, you know, what? Where do you think this team is going to excel? I mean, we've we've got enough data. You know, I've seen them in person a few times. Obviously, you've had conversations with people around the program. We've we've read what others are saying about the program. Uh, you know, we were talking before we started the the podcast, but you know, Ken Palm has a seven, I believe. Uh, Evan Miyakawa has us like eleven. You know, Haslametrics thirteen. Torvik has has us twenty four, twenty five, somewhere in that range. Uh, so I, you know he's he's the most negative of the uh, the preseason analytics on us. But uh, what do you think we're going to excel at? What do you think we're going to struggle with? You know what's what's your take so far? I think Baylor will be a pretty good team actually this season. About if they get down, not getting too down on themselves. Very old team. Ray J's old. John is very old. Jalen's an older guy. They've got a lot of old guys basically. Is I guess kind of my point overall. Right. Caleb Loner, if he's in the rotation, is old. So I think if they get down eight or ten points, they're not going to kind of sulk. Like maybe last year, I thought didn't have maybe as good of an umph to come back right. as a team the year before. So I think they'll be a very poised team. I also think this team's very strong. Uh, Ray J is very strong, has a good post game for a guard. Uh, Jalen Bridges has good length. So they'll be a much longer team, a much tougher team, I think. I think the toughness for this team is going to be a lot better than it was last season. I think that's the best improvement I see. What do you see on that front, Ashley? I agree. I, I, I've said it all off season. The people I've interviewed, uh, Jonathan Chalmachachua, Talked a lot about it, you know, just the competitive fire that this team has. I love what I see from the freshmen in that regard. You know, I think Miro is a winner. He, he loves to compete. Uh, Jacoby is a competitor big time, you know, just so mature for his for his age. And Eve Missy is, is also kind of that same cloth. You know, he's got a competitiveness that really surprised me. And, uh, you know, it's great to see. So, so overall, I think that, um, you know, that's going to be a major improvement um, from last year and be more like our championship team in that regard. I think there's a lot of similarities in this team to two years ago. I think, uh, you know, that team, if they had avoided the injury bug, really had a shot to, to make a run at a national championship. And 
Uh, unfortunately, they didn't, they didn't, you know, avoid the injury bug. You, uh, you know, of course, the horrific injury to John, uh, but also L.J. Cryer was put on the shelf, you know, most of the year. Adam Flagler was dealing with, with some knee issues, and, and Jeremy Sohan got hurt, you know, during the year. Um, you know, Kendall Brown got sick during the tournament. wasn't wasn't his you know optimum self. So so there were a lot of things going on. You know, I think Matthew Meyer was playing through some n- nagging stuff as well. But that obviously was a really talented team with long wingspan. You know, could just really jump on people and 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 you know overwhelm them with uh, with you know talent and competitiveness. You know, James Akinjo was a, was a, was a tremendous competitor. I think this team's going to have a lot of that in them. I mean, I, I see some of the you know similarities in that regard. I, so, is that a fair comparison in your mind? I think it is, and I think how talented Jacoby is is a great difference. Uh, the NBA mocks, I think, pretty universally have him as a lottery pick. Some of the ones that maybe have him as a top five pick that could be maybe a little ambitious with how the G League guys seem to get picked in the top spots now, which don't even get me started on that. Right. But I do expect. I, I, I agree. I agree in terms of toughness. I think they're going to be better, and I think that the talent of Jacoby Walter will really stick out in kind of the same way the talent of Jeremy Sohan stuck out on that team a couple of years back. Yeah, I, I think I think the areas they're going to struggle is consistency with three point shooting. They're going to probably drop some games. Hopefully not in March. That they just are cold from three point range. You know, I was told against A and M that they got the shots they wanted. They just didn't fall. You know, I think uh, the box score leaked by an Aggie source, but it was like eight for 27 from three-point range. And, you know, Jacoby was six for nine. Jalen Bridges was one for two, if I'm remembering right. And so the rest of the team was like one for 16. And and they were just like open looks that we that just didn't hit. Uh, hopefully as you, as you play together and there's a rhythm to, to playing that, you know, that improves. I, I'm optimistic that it will because a lot of these guys have put on paper to be good shooters in the past. You know, Jay Nunn's been 40% at VCU. Langston Love has a reputation as a good shooter. Jalen Bridges has been hovering around the 40% mark, or it was in Big 12 play at least last year. And, uh, you know, you've got some – who am I leaving out? Miro Little, you know, shot 40% at Sunrise Academy. Um, so, so you've got some guys that we know are capable, you know, three-point shooters. Ray J was 36% or so at Toledo, high usage. You know, but that's that's a concern, and and then I think turnovers. You know, especially early in the season, I, I don't expect that to be an issue as they play together and, and cl- closer to March. But I think early in the season it can be an issue, and I think that was a concern coming out of the scrimmages. You know that uh, they just you know struggled with some turnover issues. What what's your opinion on those two things I just said? Yeah, I think that for Baylor, the three point shooting is probably my biggest concern with them. Uh, you're correct that, you know, Jaden Nunn shot 40%. Jacoby, I think, is going to be a really good three-point shooter. Jalen can hit threes, but his inconsistent start last season, I think his reluctance hurt Baylor. He was – the game he had against Iowa State in the Big 12 tournament is one of the best Baylor performances I've ever seen in person. And um, obviously, we've both watched a lot of Baylor games in person, Ashley. Right. Uh, but he was just on fire and seemed like he wanted to be really aggressive that game. Yep. I think there will be a, come a moment this season where somebody's going to have to tell Jalen, look, you got to shoot eight or nine times a game this team to be the best version of itself that it can be and so i really do think Jalen needs to challenge himself to say you know what i gotta take these threes or i don't care i'm gonna back in and score it was okay i think to take a step back last year offensively with Keontae, lj and adam but i think on this year's team where three-point shooting is not quite as prominent as it was last year then i mean that's my biggest concern actually it's how well can the team shoot from deep 
And if they're, you know, a 32, 33% team from deep, that's asking a lot to expect the team to make the second weekend of the tournament or maybe even the third weekend. But I, that's my biggest concern is how well can this team shoot from deep? Yeah. And I, and I would say it's a concern if they turn the ball over uh, also, like if they're, if they're a low turnover team, which, you know, that's Ray J's, that's what Ray J's put on paper in the past is that he takes care of the ball and, and is, you know, like a two to one, three to one, you know, assist to turnover guy, or maybe even closer to four to one is what you're hoping for as, as a super senior. But, you know, I think if, if he is really good taking care of the ball and, you know, you don't shoot as well, you shoot 32, 33% from three, I think the Bears can overcome it if they get to the free throw line a lot. And if they get a lot of offensive rebounds, because you know you get more possessions. If you're if you're if you're missing shots and not turning it over, then you're going to grab forty percent of your misses. Then then it, then it'll work. It'll work. You know you'll you'll be fine. Uh, but you know you you would like to see them over thirty five percent for sure. That that makes it easier. Uh, you know if it, in an ideal world you, you get thirty five percent plus free three point shooting and and, you, and you're one of the lower turnover teams in the conference and, 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 and where things could go wrong is if the opposite's true, if you turn it over a lot and you don't shoot well from three, cause then, cause then you're just like giving up extra possessions to the other team and putting a lot of pressure on your defense to, to win games, you know, in the sixties and seventies or even fifties. No, agreed on all those fronts. And there's a pathway for Baylor to be good from three, but you always kind of, I like to do that pre-mortem where you expect, okay, if the season doesn't go quite like you expect it to go what would have to happen. But I think the season doesn't go like you expect it to go. I, unless Ray J and maybe another player gets hurt, I don't see any path where Baylor's not a tournament team. Like, yeah, I don't think the worst version of this is anywhere like the 2011 team. Right. <laughs> yeah. I don't think so either, but you know, I mean, Ray J is a very critical person to keep healthy. And I, th- I think Jalen Bridges is too, just because of his ability to stretch the fo- uh, floor, you know, from the perimeter and also defensively, I think he's kind of the glue there. I just remember in France, uh, one guy on the on the French team who was pretty physical was just like, you know, kind of throwing our bigs around a little bit. Not John, but but you know, Josh and, and Eve, and uh, then Jalen. You know, he gets he gets on Jalen and is trying to move him, and, and he just didn't move Jalen. I mean, Jalen's much stronger than people realize, and you know, he holds his ground well. Uh, his dad posted a tweet that you know he's taller than John right now, so he's maybe a legit six nine guy. And if, you know, he, he's a guy we probably need, you know, down low and, you know, as a shot blocker, as a rebounder, as a defender and, and a space, the floor guy, he's uh, to me, Jacoby may be a more effective player and, and average more points at the end of the year and, and be a, a one and done, you know, top five pick. But I, I think that uh, Jalen and Ray J are probably the two most important guys on the team just because of their what they bring to the table in all aspects and, and the fact that you really can't duplicate it on the roster. Yeah, it's a really good roster. I really like the talent, and we haven't discussed yet. I'm not selling my Josh Ostock yet. I yeah. think there's still a role for him on this team. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, we've talked about this on the message boards, but in an ideal world, you want to develop Josh O because – if Eve is as good as advertised, he may be one and done guy. And uh, so if you have um, Eve and uh, John gone, you want, you know, Josh O to be your guy next year and, and you want him to have experience and, and, you know, really feature him in the post. And and I think, 
I think the potential is there for that, and and you don't want him to transfer. <laughs> you want to keep him happy. You know, you want to make sure that he he realizes that he's valued, and and you know, all all of these guys think they're going to be, you know, one and done, two and done. But you know, some of them just have a different path. It takes a while to develop, and I think Josh O's on the path, but uh, he's got to he's got to stay the course and and see the bigger picture. Yeah, you really hope he stays for the next season, especially if Baylor can land one of the top five guys in the class, which I still expect that to happen. Right. He'd be a very valuable player, get some real opportunities in the post next season. But yeah. I do not think it's a situation like at KU where they bring in Hunter Dickinson and all their good bigs have to transfer out. I don't think <laughs> Baylor will portal over uh, Josh O next season if he sticks around. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of the other teams in the conference. Um, I, I put this in the wingspan report, but I think that – I'm I'm probably more leaning towards Baylor actually winning this conference now that I saw Kansas play. And I'm not overreacting to an exhibition loss against a really good Illinois team on their home court. Uh, Kansas starting five was really good. You know, Hunter Dickinson I think is a bit of a defensive liability, but he's a bucket on offense and he's he's physical and he's a rebounder, you know, so he's tough to stop and and Bill Self's system, you know, he's probably going to get better as the season goes along. Uh, McCuller is is a terrific player, you know, maybe the most valuable player in the league just because of what he brings defensively and, and his experience and his ability to score. And then Dewan Harris is is a great college point guard, not not as you know much of a scorer, but he can he can score, and you know he's going to be one of the best facilitators and, and on ball defenders in college basketball. Then you got KJ Adams, you know, is, is an experienced, explosive, you know, undersized four man. But then after that, you know, uh, El Marco Jackson's the other starter. You're bringing uh, Nick Timberlake off the bench. He didn't have a good game against Illinois, really struggled against their athleticism. And and that's, that's really it. I mean, they're kind of a six man rotation after they lost uh, Ar- Arterior Morris to uh, criminal enterprises. So, you know, I, I think that, I, I'm a skeptical. I'm skeptical of them. I I, I think that uh, you need to have a little bit more depth than that, and and they got some talented guys on the bench, but uh, in the scrimmage at least, they they played those six guys heavy minutes and and didn't play many other people. You know, so there's not a confidence there right now, at least. Um, what what say you about that? Do you think uh, this might be the year that uh, Kansas doesn't at least want a share of the title? Uh, it definitely could be, Ashley. I think. The hype for them got a little bit out of control. There is no Baylor 21, Gonzaga 21, right. Kentucky 2015, KU08 that looms out there this season. And as you mentioned, it's a six-man rotation between uh, Dewan Harris, Kevin McCuller, Hunter Dickinson, KJ Adams. You have four bad shooters in your yeah. lineup that are starting. Uh, Bill Self hasn't liked to play freshman recently. That's why MJ Rice isn't there right now. Right. So how much of a lead she gives to his freshman, I think, remains to be seen. I, I still think on paper – KU's the best team in the league, and I think they'll improve during the course of the non-con, and I would still take them to win the conference. But I don't think it's the slam dunk that a lot of people think it is, and they just got handled pretty easily by Illinois in their exhibition game, which isn't a guarantee. Obviously, there are constraints to that, but if you're the no-doubt-about-it number one team, as a lot of people, I think, duck them, you shouldn't lose that game in that fashion, and you, you shouldn't rely on Arturio Morris to be on your team, uh, given what he does. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. You know, and I think... If you tell me those four guys, uh, KJ Adams, Hunter Dickinson, Dwan Harris, and McCullough are going to stay healthy all year, then I probably would say, yeah, Kansas is going to win it again. But 
I don't think they're going to stay healthy all year. That that that's asking a lot. That all four of those guys, you know, not miss a game. Uh, that's that's more rare in today's college basketball world. So so if you if you lose one of those guys for an extended period of time, you know that uh, their depth, you know, really gets thin, you know, quick. And uh, I just I just think that Baylor's got better depth. I think that you know Baylor's going to have a true home court advantage now. And I think all those will will lead to, um, you know, Baylor winning this league. And and it, it wouldn't totally shock me if it's not Baylor it, that it's somebody else other than Kansas. Maybe maybe a Houston, maybe a TCU, maybe an Iowa State. You know, like somebody that's better than we we realize and and you know shows us that uh, coming out of the gate. But uh, you know, I think those are probably the the contenders. I I don't think Kansas State has the goods to do it. Um, but but I think Iowa State. TCU, uh, Baylor, and Houston, and Kansas are, are the five that I would expect. Yeah, I don't see any path to K-State getting in there, especially with Tomlin possibly missing a few games, though, despite Jerome Tank's speech, which was a nice one. I don't expect him to miss that much time. Uh, so I think K-State's pretty good, but I don't think they're kind of of that level. I think Iowa State, for me, is the surprise potential team. Uh, Taman Lipsy was really good last yeah. year. He'll improve as a sophomore. They brought in an elite recruiting class that I think people have undervalued despite how talented some of their guys are. Right. Just because Iowa State doesn't land a lot of five-star talent. Uh, and, you know, Ots has overachieved every season. He's been in, in Ames. So I think Iowa State's the team that if you look at the end of the year and you're like, how in the world did Iowa State finish second or third in the Big 12? We're putting you on notice now. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I kind of respect what they're doing there. I, I think uh, they they've got, you know, a much better – uh, program than, than people give them credit for despite only scoring what 31 points in an NCAA game or what, whatever it was I I can't remember how that you know they beat I, I, maybe it's maybe it's just the bias of how, how they handled Baylor last year and in the three contests uh, they played after Scott Drew just completely owned them before that but uh, let's talk about Bobby Knight um, you know well before we do that Texas Tech let's touch on that they they had an exhibition game against A&M and uh, you know, really shot the ball well. Pop Isaacs, they, their backcourt is legit. I, they don't have much size in the front court, and I think that's going to be their Achilles' heel. But when they're hot from three, and you know their their guards are on, uh, they got Toussaint. You know, that came from West Virginia. He's a he's a gritty, you know, defensive minded guard. Uh, handles the ball pretty well. And then and then they got uh, transfer from Grand Canyon, McMillan, I think is his name, and and uh, Pop Isaacs, and you know Washington, and and then the Cambridge from Arizona State. So they, they got a pretty decent roster. Um, you know, it's going to be a fun team to watch. Uh, Grant McCaslin is, is a really good coach. But uh, do, you, do you see them being a surprise team this year? I think they're going to be an NCAA tournament team, and that's a big surprise given yeah. Yeah. whatever the, in the world happened with Mark Adams to go from Sweet 16 favorite son who stays to resigning in the best job you can get to an assistant at East Carolina. I think they're going to be a good team. Obviously, shout to – uh, Grant McCaslin also shout out to Chris Nottingham, who's now their video coordinator. Yeah. I think that's a tournament team. Yeah, and and then also uh, you know West Virginia. My other hot take would be that uh, West Virginia, who looked like they were building a great roster in the off season before all hell broke loose. Man, they just, they're just getting you know bad news after bad news. Kirk Carissa, impermissible benefits, going to miss the first nine games. Their depth already is weak. They you know they struggled in an exhibition game against George Mason. Uh, I think at the end of the day, you're probably going to get uh, them, you know, competing with 
the likes of uh, UCF for for the bottom of the conference. But but I I I, I see West Virginia and the wheels falling off and and this you know not not being anywhere near we, they you know they spent a ton of money on nil a lot of other teams are doing that but sometimes when you get those rented guns um you know and, and and things aren't going as expected you know the incentives to play hard you know start start to wane uh so i i think west virginia is one of those teams that that might really you know see see all the effects of the offseason turmoil and finish last in the league they could and i don't know if you've had a chance ken palm started a Substack. yeah and he mentioned in his Substack today that both BYU and UCF had losing records in the West Coast Conference last season in the American. Yep. But that both teams, uh, with their point differential, were expected to have winning records. And so he indicated that despite UCF looking bad in his system, they should win several Big 12 games. And I agree with you that it's so dumb that Kirk Chris is suspended for nine games now that NIL is legalized for whatever happened uh, when he was at Arizona. It uh, doesn't make any sense to me, but I agree. In terms of Bob Huggins still possibly looming over that situation, West Virginia's a weird fan base. All their waivers getting denied. I think West Virginia has a real shot to finish last in the league. I'm on a group text with some West Virginia guys um, that I knew from back in the day when I grew up in Maryland, and and they were saying that uh, it was selling tickets, uh, to you know, comp tickets. He was selling them, which is a no-no. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I get that, you know, that's, you, you can't, you got to put the kibosh on that. You know, um, if it was, you know, receiving money for, you know, something, you know, that's now legal, then that's another situation. But, but if you're, if you're selling tickets, you know, players know that you can't do that. I stand with Kerr. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about Bobby Knight, legendary coach died at 83 today. Uh, what's your, what's your favorite Bobby Knight moment? Uh, Probably when he got really upset at Scott Drew. First, Scott Drew telling, <laughs> making that flyer that he had a McDonald's All-American. Tweety Carter. Uh, shout out to Tweety. Yep, shouts to Tweety Carter. We're uh, big, big, big Tweety Carter people. Uh, but that'd be up there for me. Um, I guess in terms of not that, probably the time he threw a chair across the court <laughs> or the time he won the 1984 uh, gold medal. I started reading a little bit of that uh, book that follows the season with them, and I didn't realize how much he hated Steve Alford until yeah. – uh, I read that book. So quite a character, unusual guy. Um, you know, I'm not going to make a case that he was a misunderstood guy. I think he was pretty well understood, but one heck of a college basketball coach. And, you know, before Texas Tech's strategy was just to take Baylor coaches, they were able to win some basketball games with him back in the day too. <laughs> well, I have a couple things that come to mind. I, I was at the 1987 national championship game where Key Smart hit the shot against Syracuse. And I think that was Bobby Knight's third championship because yeah he won it in 76 with the undefeated team and then with Isaiah Thomas and then and then that year uh so that was you know he was kind of in his prime you know when I was a senior in high school and uh you know I thought uh I had a high school coach that that was like a Bobby Knight wannabe so I got a full dose of Bobby Knight uh every single practice and and games and all that and you know the same like uh mental manipulation (laughs) that Bobby Knight did you know this guy probably had uh, handbooks, you know, of, of, you know, how Bobby Knight did it and just kind of copied, copied, you know, Bobby from that standpoint. But, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, a couple things come to mind for me. One is, uh, the great quote with Michael Jordan, you know, the Portland trailblazers are drafting number two in the 1984 draft. They know that, uh, Houston Rockets are going to pick Akeem Olajuwon and Portland needs a center and Bobby Knight's coached, uh, the, uh, 
you know, the um, uh, Olympic team, you know, which was all college guys at the, at the time. And so he had coached um, Sam Bowie and Mel Turpin. And, and so, you know, he calls and says, uh, Hey, I need, uh, Portland says we need a center, you know, who would you draft if, if, if you were us and Bobby Knight says, Michael Jordan, and the Portland GM says, we need a center. And he goes, well, play him at F and center then. You know, that, that was a, a classic line. And uh, no better advice has ever been given <laughs> than that advice. That would have changed Portland's franchise for sure. Uh, so, you know, that comes to mind. And, and then another thing, um, you know, is uh, Brent Wilson. Uh, you know, we've had, we've had him on this uh, post-game podcast before and his son as well. I remember him telling me a story at the uh, Big 12 championship when Baylor beats Kansas with, with Brady Heslip hitting all those uh, dagger threes. I think you, you were there, weren't you? Um, were you at that game, Kendall? Uh, I was not. That was okay. the 2012 one, the Big 12 semifinal you're talking about, right? Yeah, you might. Were you at? You were probably at 13, or I, I remember. Uh, I, was at the, I was at every, uh, almost every game in the tournament in 14. 14, uh, okay. Yeah, but twelve. I was still a junior at Baylor back then. Okay, so then you went to KU Law School, yeah, and then you were, and then you, yep. yeah, you were. It was easier for you to get to. That makes sense. Um, yeah, so um, you know, Brent Wilson sees Bobby Knight. He's doing the game, and uh, he sees him at like a you know restaurant, and he says, "Hey, coach, you know what does Baylor need to do uh, to win that game against uh, Kansas? Uh, you know tonight." And he goes, "There's not a dang thing they can do. They have no chance, like or something like that." <laughs> and then Baylor goes on to win. So that was kind of a a funny moment. And then uh, the other thing is, um, you know, I, I remember talking to a, a former player of Knights and, and he told a really funny story about a practice with Martin Zeno. Do you, do you remember Martin Zeno from uh, Texas tech? Uh, I do not actually. Okay. He was one of their better players when Bobby Knight was coached there. And so uh, Bobby Knight, you know, was real upset about something Zeno did wrong in practice. So he starts jamming him with his middle finger and, you know, cussing him out. And uh, he starts jamming him so hard that he breaks his finger. And so he, he, he tells, the, you know, the trainer, he says, uh, what happened to my finger? And the trainer says, well, I think you broke it. He goes, well, fix the blankety-blank thing. And so Bobby Knight goes back in the locker room, you know, to get treatment on his finger. And uh, the players are just dying laughing. You know, they think it's the funniest thing they've ever seen. And after about 15 minutes, Bobby Knight comes out with this oversized splint on his finger and he's got the, he's got the reddest face, and he goes right towards Martin Zeno, and he starts just jamming him right in the chest with that splint, you know. And and the player that told me that said it was one of the funniest moments he's ever seen. So you know he's he's quite a character, you know. Basketball uh, certainly, you know, he's going to make his mark. I know he's you know hated by many, admired by some, you know, and and uh, certainly you know nobody has any neutral opinions on him. Probably you know very very. Uh, volatile guy and and uh you know had a had a tremendous temper and and you know burned a lot of bridges but uh, but also did a lot of things right you know never accused of cheating always you know very you know uh a stickler for the rules and and you know did things from an old school way and had a lot of success so legendary guy dies today bobby knight at 83 years old and i guess we can close the podcast with that um it's gonna be a fun season and uh kendall look forward to doing these podcasts as we have basketball to talk about and review uh, you've been listening to a Sikkim 365 podcast with Ashley Hodge and Kendall Cout, Sikkim Bears. Heck yeah.